and we're gonna we're gonna look at three different chap there are three different passages. After we read in Acts eleven, we're gonna go to Matthew twenty eight and then to Mark fifteen. So on Wednesday nights, as a reminder, we're we're trying to answer this question why is West Valley a Baptist church, what that means and what that doesn't mean. And if I can encourage you with this, there's a whole lot of weird stuff in the world today, a whole lot of weird stuff in in churches of every stripe. It's not, the weirdness and the departure from biblical truth is not limited. And, And it can creep in everywhere but i'm i'm interested in if you're going to be a part of west valley be a part of this family and then also equipping people so you understand how your pastor thinks and what we're actually trying to do that why why do we call ourselves a baptist church why do why why does that say that on our sign and i'm just as concerned about why what that doesn't mean as well as what it does mean and, and so tonight, I'm actually going to begin to answer the question very specifically. And so for the, and some of you are like, finally, I've been listening to you drone on about this for a few weeks. And then I'm going to build on that in the next couple of Wednesdays, uh, the Lord willing. And the answer is going to blow you away. <laughs> Thank you for two of you that, two of you that mentioned that. All right, I, man, I'm I'm sorry. I I I completely forgot to mention something in our prayer time, and I need to mention it to you now. Please forgive me. Sorry, just the Lord reminded me. Brother Nate and Miss Danielle are going to Japan. Um, they're leaving on Friday, and going to see um, going to see family over there. So they're going to be gone for uh, ten days. Is that right? So I may would you just pray for their safety and I'm excited that they get to go and just pray for God to use them to be a blessing to be a witness however he would help them to enjoy the time that's pretty that's pretty special and so I am uh, I am I sure am thankful for that and uh, it's it's going to be very great a great trip so pray for their safety in that All right in Acts chapter 11 I want to make a statement that I made in the first message of, on this series uh, a few weeks ago. Today, 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 the name of a church matters for this reason. Generally, it signifies what kind of church it is and the core doctrines and beliefs and philosophies that it ascribes to. Today. You don't, contrary to what people want to say, you don't find church names like they're used today in the Word of God. There's a whole lot lot of reasons for that. I'm going to give you all so much information, and if we were to get even more into this, this would turn into a church history class in which you would get a degree in. And we're just not going to do that. Yeah. Like my head, I, listen, I, my head is still throbbing a little bit just getting ready for this tonight because this isn't, this isn't how I preach. But I want to I start by demonstrating a couple of things. First of all, the history of church names that tried to follow Jesus Christ after Jesus started the first church and then went back to heaven and his followers began to replicate what he commanded them to do. They were, they were named throughout the centuries based on their leader or based on someone being critical of them. And, and we'll give you some facts to demonstrate that. We have an example of that in Acts chapter 11. In verse 25, Barnabas, we've been introduced to him in his ministry. Barnabas was an encouraging brother. I mean, I I could preach on this right now. Behind every Saul who became Paul, there's a Barnabas, and and, and the Barnabases don't always 
have as much of an influence directly, but man, God sure does use them in the kingdom because they're just an encouraging brother in that way. And so he goes to seek Saul. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Hey, 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 what, what was the name of the church? The church at Antioch. <laughs> this is deep. <laughs> Y'all aren't having fun with this. Sorry. Look, this is, gonna, this is not going to be a normal service. Y'all just get over yourselves and let me enjoy this at least. Because you know I'm going to either way, but I don't, I don't have to feel so lonely up here. <laughs> not that I even care about that. They, the church, the, with the church and taught much people. And notice the next few words, and the disciples were called. Well, what were they known as before? Well, these were the people that followed Jesus. But they were called Christians first in Antioch. So that term, the, the implication is it. in some ways there was even a derogatory connotation with it. You are, you are followers of Christ, and that was given to them. That was a label placed on them by outside influences. So that got me to asking this question. What was the name that Jesus told us we should name our churches? Y'all, see, y'all aren't enjoying this. This is no fun. Turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, remember this in the first message we preached about this, all power. You know what that means? He has all authority. He has the right to start and to continue to do things. Well, what did he start and did he continue to do? He started the plan of redemption, and he chose to to take that plan to the whole world through the starting of local assemblies, called out people who had trusted in Christ and followed the Lord in baptism, who assembled together for the purpose of knowing him, growing in him, and showing his love to a lost world. To he, he, We call those churches, and they're just supposed to go everywhere and do what he started. He has the authority to say to do that. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And when you start a church, name it the. <laughs> this is so fun. Look at Mark 16. And he said unto them in verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And then again, when you start a church, what is it to go? What is it to go and preach the gospel and to baptize those that, that accept Jesus Christ, and then to teach them to observe all those all those things that he commanded us and has passed on to us. What is that called? It's called planting churches and making disciples. You preach the gospel. You disciple the believers. They follow the Lord in baptism. They, you teach them how to serve. You teach them how to emulate the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. And that is called a church. And then you go and you do it somewhere else. It's what missionaries are doing. We're supporting them to take the gospel, to teach people the truth of Jesus Christ, to organize these local assemblies, and then to go on and do it in another town, and then in another town. It's a beautiful model that Jesus created. By the way, it has his blessing and his authority, and that's the reason it's still successful today, because it has the divine blessing on it. I wonder in Matthew and Mark, what was the name of the, what's the, name of the church supposed to be? <laughs> Y'all are already bored, I'm sorry. Again, as a reminder, back in Acts 11, there was a label given to those who followed Jesus Christ. As you know, the churches in this first century, they were identified by the city in which they were in. Because churches were a very new thing, and there had not yet spread these, the, 
the false doctrine began to penetrate these churches, but you didn't have this yet. You didn't have false churches rising up and just completely giving themselves over to heresy. Churches were identified by the name of the city. Yeah, the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Laodicea. You can look in Revelation 2 and 3 and you see churches identified by the city that they went to. Well, Well, who or what name were these churches supposed to be identified by? Well, I just go to Peter's words, I believe, in Acts. Neither is there, in Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Churches, and we tried to make this point last week, in dealing with the importance of doctrine to the identity of a church, churches are to identify with Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? By adhering to the truth that he taught, that his word continues to declare, because this is a timeless book. It's it's not just that it was, his truth was relevant then, it's always been relevant and it's relevant today. So the title of this is a very short history of church names. (laughs) You're like, man, it seemed like it went really long. Well... There's a whole lot of stuff I didn't include in this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to, you understand in the, in the first century with Christ, it was the church that was at Jerusalem. As we read here in Acts 11.26, it was the church that was at, at Antioch. But then over time, because of the influence of false doctrine and then people's efforts to be true to Jesus Christ, labels were given to different assemblies based on the leader of that assembly, that movement, or they were given based on, because of critics labeling them like here in Acts 11, 26, Christians. So in the second century, and I'm just, I'm highlighting a few of these, you had one group that was known as the Montanists. Montanus, the leader, was believed in the following things. And I'm, and I'm just going to highlight their doctrine. And, and there's so much more that we could say about them. I'm not going to talk about the origins. I'm not going to talk about the specific doctrinal battles or separations. I'm just going to identify these groups. You want to jot their names down and do your own research, you're more than welcome to. But the Montanists believed in the following things. Among other things, a saved membership. That's a good thing to believe in. Baptism only for believers. It's in the Bible. Holiness of life. I mean, sometimes we chirk, we chirk, <laughs> we choke on the word holy, but God is holy. No, 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 no. Look, look, look. I understand that churches like ours can get this reputation for these bullet points of this is what holiness means. No, holiness begins in the heart. And it has to do with being conformed to the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And that love being lived out. And we shouldn't be afraid of this, that you are supposed to be different than the world. Out of which you have been saved. One of the most notable differences should be your attitude. Even when traffic is bad. Church discipline, believing in the word of God, premillennial eschatology. In the third century, you had a group called the Novatians. They were led by a man named Novation. Again, he believed in a purity of membership. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means, number one, that in order to be a part of a local assembly, you need to be saved and you need to be baptized. And baptism is by immersion. And people that say, well, we've been baptized, but the method is not immersion. You haven't really been baptized according to the word of God. Because in the Bible, baptism is only one thing. It's being completely immersed in the water, in the same way that Christ was buried, we are immersed in the water. He believed in church discipline. Well, is that in the Bible? Yeah, check out First and Second Corinthians. By the way, let me go ahead and park on this for a moment since we brought up the term church discipline. A lot of churches have have two ditches that they get into. One ditch is where, because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, we never deal with anything. That's one ditch. And then the other ditch is we're going to use the pulpit of the Lord Jesus Christ as some kind of bully pulpit, and we're just going to abuse and bully people around. 
And, and that's not the purpose of Matthew 18. The purpose of confronting people that have made very bad decisions in their lives is not to make public examples of anyone. It's to see reconciliation happen in their life. That's the purpose. Um, in the 4th and 5th centuries, you had the beginning of the Catholic church system through Constantine. He was getting ready to fight a battle and he saw the cross on fire. Had this vision. Y'all aren't enjoying that either. It was during this time that there was an official ratification that baptism washed away sins. And this is where you see in history the rise of the papacy. During this time, a group called the Donatists, you ready for their name? Who their leader was? Roderick. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Donatus. He believed again. And it, no, I, I hope you're picking up on a theme. I hope you're, are you ready for what he believed in? We're some one to 200 years removed from novation, or another 100 or so years from Montanus. Donatus taught, again, church purity, the separation of church and state. Scriptural baptism, the independency of churches, and the freedom of conscience. You, you say, what do you mean the freedom of conscience? What Paul said in Romans, so then every one of us must give an account of himself to God. I, I may be giving you the wrong book on that, I'm sorry. But every one of us has to answer to the Lord. I don't answer for Brother Feavai, Brother Feavai doesn't answer for me. And he only answers for himself. And therefore, I can have strong opinions about what I believe is right, but I'm not given liberty to lord over God's heritage. I'm to be an example, I'm to lead, I'm to preach the truth of Jesus Christ, but I am not a cult leader. In the 5th century, you had the beginning of the Dark Ages. In some of the most tragic years in human history, about a thousand years from 500 to 1500 A.D., referred to as the devil's millennium by some, it saw the papacy take up the sword against what they would refer to as other or non-Christians. And because of the severity and the violence of their persecution during that time, not every record was preserved. But here's what we know. Just because there's blanks that we can't look back and say, well, we know this and we know this and we know this. We can believe Jesus when he made a promise that he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Meaning that just because you can't look back seven or 800 years ago and know for certain about one particular area or region, it doesn't mean Jesus wasn't true to his word. So in the... Eighth and ninth centuries, and, I, and I'm not dealing with every single century here. There's, again, so much information. You had records that were discovered of a group known as the Paulicians. They accepted the word of God as the sole rule of faith. They recognized only believers' baptism. They rejected transubstantiation, opposed all image worship, and believed in holy living. In the 12th century, you had the Petrobrusians. They were started and led by a man named Peter de Broys, who believed in believers' baptism, opposed image worship, denied transubstantiation, rejected prayers, alms, and good works for the dead. You had other groups led by men like the Henricians and the Albigensians. In the 12th through the 17th centuries, a man came to prominence that a group was named after, and his name was called Peter Waldo. He believed in the Bible as the sole authority for faith and practice. And, and that the scriptures, and this is, this is mm, man, I am going to get intense about this if I'm not careful. That the scriptures should be available to all people. You know, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick a fight or be nasty. My mom was raised 
in Roman Catholicism, but you need to understand the history of certain movements and that there are very dark periods in history where the Catholic Church did everything it could to prevent common people from having a copy of the Word of God. And we're not going to build this church by calling out other people, but I want you to understand what you're dealing with today. And I, in, in my lifetime, I have talked and tried to witness to people and ask them this question. If you died today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And this was the answer. Well, I'm going to ask my priest that. No, 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 no. You shouldn't depend on any religious leader for affirmation of whether or not you're a child of God because you have the word of God and you have access to God, and when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God, and you are free to access God. You don't go to God through a priest. Preacher, you go to him through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Mm. That's what Peter Waldo believed. He rejected Rome's claim to be the true church. He believed that baptism was only for believers. And that, and I quote him, we maintain that believers may be saved without the sign of baptism when they have neither place nor opportunity of, of, of observing them. You know what he was saying? Baptism and salvation are two different things. You're not saved by, you're not saved by baptism. Mm. Hey, where was the thief on the cross baptized? Oh yeah, he was baptized in the first New Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, Episcopalian church. That was right down the road. He had a little bit of life in him, and they dunked him, sprinkled him, and poured him just to make sure it was all covered, and that's how we know he went to heaven. Okay, I know that was ridiculous, and yes, I was being very facetious. He wasn't. What did Jesus, he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me. How do we know he said the right words? Because he called out to Jesus, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't have time to keep doing this, but that's just another argument against this false doctrine of soul sleep. And we're just floating around out there. No, to be absent from is to be present with. And he said, today you're going to be with me, implying awareness and presence. Hallelujah. Mm. This is so much fun. Uh. Peter Waldo believed that heaven was for the saved and hell for those who reject Christ. But beginning in the 12th century, they were persecuted with great ferocity by the Catholic Church. You can go back and look at this. In 1655, the terrible Piedmontese Easter saw the troops of Marquis de Pianyaza bring about of a group that we refer to as the Waldensians in Piedmont. Now, you study the history of people who tried to be true to Jesus Christ, and there has always, in, one, in just about every generation, been persecution that cost them freedom and life. And we don't even know all the history. They, we don't even know all the history, Brother Brian. The term Anabaptist was a term of slander towards those who opposed state church baptism. Now, you read after people like Peter Waldo, you, you read after people that we've referenced, whose names you're not going to remember after tonight. You read after them, and, and they, wouldn't, they would not qualify themselves as Anabaptists. They would say, you aren't practicing biblical baptism in the first place. But they didn't accept, cat primarily, they didn't accept Catholic baptism. Well, why? Because, number one, it's not the proper mode. It's not immersion. Number two, they're teaching that it has to do with washing away sins. Number three, they're sprinkling infants and everybody else. Number four, they're teaching that you can do these things for people who've died and might not be saved. And so they just rejected that and said, that's not actually biblical baptism. Biblical baptism is when a person acknowledges, again, I wish we had examples of this. Oh, wait, we do. It's amazing. In Acts 16, in Acts chapter 9, you have the Ethiopian eunuch. You have the Philippian jailer. There was a, a professed faith or an understood profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and then they were baptized. How were they baptized? The way that Jesus was baptized. It's hard to know exactly when the term was first used. Most people, if you just look in secular history, if you Google it, 
you're going to read the, some claims that it started. It was first used in around the 1520s. But I personally don't adhere to that. A man by the name of Cardinal Hosius, who was a member of the Council of Trent, in 1560 said this, and it's a long quote, but please try to listen and follow. If the truth of religion were to be judged by the readiness and boldness of which a man of any sect shows in suffering, that the opinion and persuasion of no sect can be truer and surer than that of the Anabaptists, since there have been none for these 1,200 years past that have been more generally punished or that have more cheerfully and steadfastly undergone and even offered themselves to the most cruel sorts of punishment than these people. So he even recognized this priest who hated these groups. And again, he wasn't calling them Anabaptist as a denomination. He was referring to them as groups that rejected the state dogma of these established churches that preached false doctrine. And so he was saying that with disdain, but he's referring to every, every group that we've mentioned, Anabaptists referring to those who rebaptize. The title Anabaptist, as I said, was used to refer to multiple groups spanning hundreds of years that rejected state-controlled doctrine and chose the Bible as their authority. Again, it wasn't a, it wasn't a name they gave themselves. It was a name somebody else gave to them because they hated them. Let me just give you some doctrines. You combine all these groups from 2nd century on, even if you just make the parameters, the, the date parameters, those of what Cardinal Hoysi has said, referring to the last 1,200 years from when he said that, the, you can trace these doctrines. Christian charity. Regenerate church membership. You know what that means? You have to be saved in order to be a member of a church. Baptism of believers. Separation of church and state. Liberty of conscience. In, there were times in the 15 and 1600s, notably, when churches like this were known for rejecting military service and capital punishment. Now, today we wouldn't be in line with that, but can you ask yourself why would they in the 1500s and the 1600s reject military service and capital punishment? Why, why would there be a tendency to do that? Think logically. You go back and you study the persecution that they were under. You study holy wars. And by the way, by the way, by the way, by the way, I'll get back to this, another rabbit trail. Anyone that says Christians are known for using the military and government to attack Muslims, that wasn't true Christianity. That was Catholicism that was filled with perverse false doctrine. Christians didn't do that. No, that is true. And I'll, I'll have that conversation all day. It's not biblical Christianity. That state-funded warfare to try to convert the world by violence. And Jesus never authorize that and so you have they during that time the that's what the military was it was under the control of the catholic church primarily and it was sent all over the world to wage these holy wars and they said this isn't the way to do things you don't convert people by killing them no, this is, some of you might be hearing this for the first time. This is really useful information. You don't convert people by killing them. You know how you convert them? You love them and you give them the gospel. And I don't, listen, listen, it's very convenient of the established, the established Catholic church today to forget its history. But there are plenty of people that still know the history books. Yeah, Sorry. What about, what about capital punishment? Why would they oppose that? Well, because in those days, you were, you, were, you were subject to capital punishment for being a heretic. What did you have to do to be a heretic? Refuse to let your child be sprinkled. 
No, literally. Go back and study history. I'm not giving you dates. I, there, there's so many resources that confirm this. This isn't something that I'm just making up. You can, if, you want, if you're willing to read and do the research, people were mothers were, were burned at the stake. Children were ripped from their parents' arms and thrown into rivers because people refused to let some established religious system sprinkle their children and buy into a false doctrine. I'm just telling you, that's throughout those years of history. They believed in the free, the free will of man. What does that mean? That means God doesn't decide if you get saved or not. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Dolly. That means that God's made salvation available and you choose to accept it. They believe that salvation is through faith. They believe in Christ-like living, that the Lord's Supper is for church members, that there should be cooperation among churches where they can agree on scriptural principle. They believed in the authority of the scriptures and missions and the security of infants and young children. By the way, what happens to a, what happens to a baby that dies? They're safe with God. And I get all these, man, people just want to be weird because they, we can't answer every single thing. But we know this about the character of God. Number one, he is a gracious and a merciful God. Number two, when David had a baby die, he said, I can go to be with him, but he cannot come to be with me. Well, he was just talking about dying. No, he wasn't because David was fully aware of being with God when he died. And this nonsense, man, I've heard of heretics and clowns try to argue that, well, when a baby dies, they might be in hell. That is wickedness before God. I didn't even mean to get all stirred up about all this stuff. Man, I was just thinking, I'm just, I'm just thinking about when my mom and dad buried their first baby. We would be all pious about that, but I don't believe that's the nature of God. Any more than I believe it's the nature of God to create people and then say, I predetermine that you go to hell and you go to heaven. It's not the nature of God. It's not consistent with what he's revealed about himself. You have church discipline. You have the right of each church to choose and reject its own pastor. I'm not scared of this. I mean, maybe I should be, but if you don't want me to be your pastor, it's clearly stated how you go about that process. And we don't hide from that. Okay, thank you, Ben. <laughs> These groups were hated by some famous leaders of the Reformation. I'm just throwing in a little fun information for you. Martin Luther signed a memorandum assenting to the death penalty for Anabaptist. Now, I know, I know Martin Luther is memorialized by a lot of groups, but that, that dude believed that you, baptism was by immersion, but he immersed infants and that baptism had a part in completing the process of salvation. John Calvin advised that Anabaptists should be put to death, and he taught the false doctrine of Calvinism. Yeah. Zwingli said that those who talk of going under, referring to baptism, should go under indeed, which gave rise to drowning Anabaptists. Now, he's documented having flip-flopped on the issue of infant baptism, and this is a quote from his early years of public leadership. Nothing grieves me more than at the present I have to baptize infants or children, for I know it ought not to be done. Well, if you know it ought not to be done, what kind of man of God are you or so-called spiritual leader doing something that you know violates the word of God. You know what you find out later? That in order to not suffer persecution from the establishment church, he embraced that doctrine. Lied about ever making statements like this. But then at the same time, you had godly influences. Like John Wycliffe, William Tyndale. Had, their stories are amazing because you know what they did? They helped God use them to put the Bible in people's hands. It's amazing. And then you had eventually, and, and I don't know exactly when, but Anabaptists, again, many groups, are you with me on this? Many groups labeled by critics under the umbrella of Anabaptist. At some point, the term Baptist came to define these doctrinal positions. I don't know exactly when it happened, but in the, in the early years of 
of America before she was a country, colonists are celebrated as having, having come for religious freedoms. And they did, but they many times only sought it for themselves and often denied others. <laughs> I understand this isn't making you all feel all good, but not every part of history is a good part. For example, the Virginia Assembly in 1659 1662 and 1693 made it illegal for parents to refuse to have their children baptized. And they also said that if Quakers entered into one of their colonies for a third time, three strikes, you get the death penalty. No, I'm not, I'm just, I'm amazed at how we just, we watered down everything. And we don't actually determine to know the truth about different things. Let me give you some notable dates. In 1612, Thomas Helwes is credited for forming what was called the First Baptist Church in London. Not first as in the name, but what is known to be the first chronologically. In 1638, you had men like Dr. John Clark and Roger Williams who were very influential in Rhode Island and who are credited with starting Baptist churches in, in Rhode Island. But then, as things go on, again, the, the name Baptist was referring to doctrinal positions. But then in the 19th and 20th centuries, you had the rise of Baptist denominationalism. We are not a part of a denomination. I'm going to say that again. We're not a part of a denomination. There are good churches that are a part of different denominations. But we are not a part of denominations, and you don't find denominations in the Bible. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention was formed. In 1846, the Free Will Baptist Convention was formed. Or, excuse me, I'm sorry. They were formed in the 18th century. In 1846, they became the first... Baptist church to license a lady to be a pastor. You say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, Jesus said, whoso desires the office of a bishop, desires a good thing, let him be the husband of. It's God's idea that males be the pastors of churches. Am I any better or any closer to God or any more valuable to God than my wife? thousand percent not and I know that it's very possible there are a whole lot of men who have the title of pastor who are basically dirtbags and their wives are godly Christ honoring children of God that have much influence but the idea that we can just make whoever we want a pastor is contrary to scripture I'm going to make a point here with this in a minute in 1821 the landmark movement started arguing that Baptists trace their history and their name all the way back to the New Testament. Yeah, people say John the Baptist, but that's not what I was talking about. In 1905, you have the Baptist World Alliance. In 1907, the Northern Baptist Convention. In 1964, Watch Street Baptist Church in North Carolina became the first Southern Baptist church to ordain a lady to become a pastor. What's the point? Within denominationalism, you have churches called Baptist churches doing all kinds of unscriptural things. I didn't even get into this, but free will Baptists teach that you can lose your salvation. Yeah. And, they're, and they're, today, there are Baptist churches that are embracing the homosexual ideology. Proud of themselves for it. Ordaining lesbians. Now, look, 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 look. This isn't about propagating hate. And I'm going to be labeled and called all sorts of things. You understand that when I stop to talk to someone, help someone, hold, someone's, hold a door open for someone, that I offer to help someone across the street, or I see a car that's broke down and try to help someone, I don't ask them anything about any part of their identity. I just try to show the love of Jesus Christ and to demonstrate the witness and the grace of our Lord and Savior. I don't run down a list of anything. 
Because God loves them right where they're at. Like the woman at the well. Like the woman caught in adultery. Like Zacchaeus. Man, somebody tonight was being a heretic. I won't say his name. He's about 6'4 with red hair. And he teaches our youth. But he's making fun. No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about, I'm talking about your nephew. I'm talking about you. And he's talking to guests. And he's making fun of how everybody in here is tall except for you. I'm like, well, God loves Zacchaeus. And that's okay. Listen, Jesus didn't go Jesus didn't go to people and say, are you guilty of this? Are you guilty of this? Are you guilty of this? Well, if you're not guilty of these things, then I'll associate with you. No, Jesus just loved people where they were, and through his truth and grace, he changed their lives. But, 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 reaching out to those people, who are those people? Anybody that needs Jesus. Who are you talking about those people? Anybody that needs Jesus. Reaching out to people that need Jesus is not the same as affirming godless behavior. Okay, I'm going to throw out one more example because you need to know what kind of craziness is going on in this world. Charles Stanley died yesterday. I don't agree with, I don't agree with certain philosophies, different things. I think over time as people get bigger and more prominent, and feel political pressure and try to maintain influence, sometimes they can deviate in certain areas. But I know this, God used Charles Stanley. And I don't have to agree with everything in order for God to have used Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley doesn't answer to me. And I happen to have a grandmother who, after losing her family and failing her family in so many ways, having her children taken away from her by the state because of her wickedness and because of her ex-husband's wickedness, one day in her 40s or 50s, she was at home watching Charles Stanley and in her living room called on Jesus Christ to be her savior. So I'm, th- I'm thankful for the godly influence that Charles Stanley has had in my own family. I'm thankful for that. But his son Andy Stanley today is some kind of mega pastor. And this is what Andy Stanley said recently. Man, homosexuals have more faith than most of you Christians. And they're better church members. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about calling people out, but there is an act, there is an effort to embrace all kinds of wickedness by churches today across the board. So what is, what is the point of all of this? Okay, I'm getting ready to answer the question. Buckle up. West Valley Baptist Church, church is not a denomination, nor is it a part of a denomination. The name Baptist historically... And presently for this church, now look, I took time to type this out in a very certain way, so I need you to pay attention to these words. The name Baptist historically and presently for this church defines a traceable doctrinal position. Over time, the term Baptist was manipulated like everything else that men get involved in. Men have found a way to mess up everything that God gave us that was good. There, there is no way. I, I had someone ask me this, concerned about this, and I don't mind the concern because I've been slow in getting to this point on purpose. There is no way to draw a line all the way back to the New Testament to support the idea of Baptist perpetuity. You know what I believe? There has been doctrinal perpetuity because Jesus promised to build his church. In every generation, there have been people that were trying to be faithful to follow him. They were labeled at some point as Anabaptists, not as a denomination, but because they rejected establishment church-state theology. And over time, the term Baptist came to associate different churches with specific doctrines. There's this idea that, man, we can trace... This church, all the way back to, that's, we're not even going down that road. That is not what we are. Okay. There is very compelling evidence to demonstrate that there have been people who believe, called by different names, who believe in and were faithful to the truth of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. Who are the true churches? <laughs> you ready? This is deep. I'm about to blow your minds. You ready? I don't know. I don't know. 
What I do know is that true churches will be defined by their faith and practice. Not the name that's on their sign. A church can have the name Baptist on it and at one time have been faithful and true to the truth of Jesus Christ. But because they've deviated so far from the doctrines of the word of God, I don't care what the sign on, what the name on the sign says. I don't care how far back they can trace their history. Like the church at Laodicea, Jesus Christ has stepped outside of that congregation and they are on the verge of being spewed out of his mouth. Their candle being put out. And by the way, I do know, I do know that for a fact, based on the truth of the word of God, that there are assemblies today that assemble. And I'm not saying that everyone who assembles with them is aware of this, but there are assemblies today who claim the name of God, who claim the name of Jesus Christ, and they, they are as close to the truth of God as the Laodicean church was. Meaning there are false churches today. There are churches... There are churches whose name today may not say Baptist, but who are genuinely and authentically trying to follow Jesus Christ. There are Baptist churches who have embraced all sorts of false doctrine, like the free will Baptist, like reformed Baptist. So let me ask the question again, who are the true churches? Here's my answer. I don't know, and it's not my job to know. Nor is it my job to try to find out about every single church. It's my job to protect and minister to West Valley. That's my job. And to assure to the best of my ability that we are faithful to follow Jesus Christ. Ask me who I report to. No, 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 wait. You ready for this? I report to you in the way that I preach and in the way that I minister in the philosophy and we have an internal infrastructure set up to create accountability and awareness. No, we're not afraid of the leadership of a pastor and the authority that God gives. That's firmly established in Hebrews 13 and in the model that Jesus gave. But no one is above the doctrine and the truth of Jesus Christ. And we have in place procedures that if I were to ever deviate morally or doctrinally from following Jesus Christ, ethically from following Jesus Christ, we have procedures in place to protect this church and to ensure that this church continues to follow Jesus Christ and that a pastor who will be true to that can be brought in. I'm not afraid of that because if I'm thinking right, I want that. My business isn't every other church. My business is this church. So here's why we're a Baptist church. Cinch it down. You ready? Two reasons. We were started by a Baptist. (laughs) Ask Jason why he looks like me. Come here. I mean, can you tell? hard to deny it i mean i love him i'm proud of him i'm not sure he's always loving life or proud of it but man he's he's a pile you know why because he came from piles thanks homie we were started as a baptist church by a baptist out of a baptist church baptist defines a body of doctrine historically historically and that doctrine has its root in the word of god other people labeled it and in modern times we have embraced the doctrinal significance of that name you know what i'm not saying that only baptist churches believe these things i'm going to deal with i'm going to deal with why churches started changing their names from baptist i'm going to deal with some of that And I'm going to deal with why I'm not following that trend just to appeal to a culture. Because I know why I'm not a Baptist. I'm not a Baptist because I'm a part of a denomination. I'm not a Baptist because the name Baptist can be traced back all the way to Jesus Christ. 
critics of this doctrine labeled it that way. We embrace it, and it identifies doctrinal positions. That's why. I love the statement that my pastor in Stillwater makes. The name of the church there is Bible Baptist Church, and this is what he reminds that congregation of. The most important part of our name is the word Bible. What do you mean? That's our authority for what we do. All right, so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk specifically about what we believe, modern trends among churches. And you're not going to hear me being critical of people wanting to call their churches different names. You know why? Because I don't answer for any of those churches. And, and neither do I go around saying, well, unless you're named this, you're not A. You've never heard me say that. And you won't hear me say that. But neither are you going to hear me apologizing for being West Valley Baptist Church either. Sweet. We can go home now. This is not a normal message. This has not been a normal series. But I want there to be information. I want you to know what we're not, what we are. All right. We're going we're gonna to sing. Um, uh, so... Uh, I appreciate you praying. We've got, we've got a couple of weeks of busyness, and, and everybody's busy, I know that, but I've, I'm leaving on Friday to go do a youth conference in Austin, Texas at Victory Baptist Church, if you would pray for that, um, uh, just, and, and then just pray for the preaching on Sunday. Brother Adam's going to be preaching on Sunday morning and excited about that, and uh, he's been a blessing since we've made that transition, and just... And just thankful for that, thankful for the rest of the guys and gals just getting, being on board and continuing to do a great job. But Brother Adam will be preaching on Sunday. Then, and then the following weekend, we have men's advance, got several men going down there for that. And, and then my, my schedule as far as any kind of ministry outside really slows. It, it stops for the next three months. And so I have some stuff coming up in the fall that I'll tell you about when we get there. And just appreciate your patience. And, and I... I can only do with that what I believe the Lord wants me to do with that. And I've, I've, I say no to things, and then I, I say yes to some things as well. I'm just trying to follow the Holy Spirit and keep our trustees informed. But I appreciate you praying for all of that. And so love you, and thank you very much. Let's all stand together. Brother Nate's going to lead us in a song. Again, guests, thanks for hanging out with us. See you. Uh, we're willing. When it goes with hymn number 481, The Family of God. I'm so glad.